All right, thank you, Pastor John. Uh, kids can go ahead and be dismissed to be with our team in Redemption Kids. And uh, yeah, I love our parent-child dedication moments, right? Uh, I never know exactly what we're going to get, but it's always uh, such a joy to see these parents taking their call as parents seriously and uh, saying, you know, first and foremost, our kids, before they belong to us, they belong to God. So what a joy to experience that together. Well, if you uh, would love, I would love to just go ahead and invite you to open your copy of God's life-giving word. We're going to start in the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 17. Uh, you can go ahead and turn there as we get prepared to study God's word. Uh, if you're new with us at Redemption Hill, we want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us. We have an app that you can download at any app store, and we would love for you to fill out the digital connect card that you'll find on there. Uh, just Take a minute to do that. It's our way of getting to know all of our newcomers here in Redemption Hill. Well, uh, I don't know about you, but today is a day that I am enjoying the heat wave. Anyone just, I mean, I don't know if you've checked the app yet, but we are supposed to reach 46 degrees. Yes, may the pipes not burst any longer. And, um, you know, this is, of course, after the coldest day on record in our city since 1957. All right. We hit negative 12 with a wind chill of minus 39. And in case you missed it, Mount Washington, which is... Usually the coldest place uh, this time of the year in North America, in the United States at least, um, it hit negative 109. So this was the coldest wind chill the U.S. has ever seen, or at least has uh, recorded uh, for, you know, the, all the meteorologists out there. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, I don't know if any of you, you know, considered a, a hike up Mount Washington this weekend or anything like that, uh, but, but it was cold. It was super cold. Parker and I got out uh, this weekend. We had the, the Christmas, you know, gift uh, for the Celtics game, and it was negative eight when we got out of the game. It was cold. Thankfully, we didn't have to be out too long uh, catching the tea and getting back to the car. Well, um, you know, I also learned for the first time, I've lived in New England 12 years and all my life, all my 42 years, I never knew until yesterday, uh, catching a, a Washington Post article, that there are such things, did you know, raise your hand, as frost quakes. Has anyone heard of a Frost, not many of you. I mean, I'm glad we can educate you here today. Um, so a frost quake is where there is water under the ground that is yet to reach the surface. And because the ground is freezing so rapidly, the water is expanding and then, I guess to some degree, exploding to where the ground begins to shake. Pretty, pretty cool if you ask me. I mean, I maybe on my bucket list, like, Lord, can I experience just one frost quake before, I don't know, maybe not. It's probably, if I'm doing that, it's probably solo because my wife doesn't want anywhere near a frost quake. I can guarantee you that. Uh, well, you know, it's one thing if we're talking about uh, what it's like to be freezing in a physical sense, right? I mean, yesterday felt like a snow day without the snow. It's right. It's like we're not going outside. We're staying inside. We're staying warm. And it's one thing to feel frozen spiritually, but it's a whole different conversation to be frozen or very, very, very cold spiritually. 
And the Bible actually talks about this. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 said that in the, the last days that the love of many will grow cold. And so as we think about what it, what it means to be spiritually cold, there's a, a lack of life. There's a lack of vibrancy. There's a lack of passion and desire for God. A lack of passion and desire for the things of God, the ways of God. A, 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 a lower temperature when it comes to our love for God and consequently, which flows from our love for God, our love for one another. But the good news I have to share with us this morning is that God wants to warm us up. He wants, if you're, if you're feeling a little colder today spiritually, listen, uh, don't, don't despair, okay? We all go through seasons. Where, sometimes we call them dry seasons. Sometimes we call them cold seasons. There are just seasons where we're doing better or worse spiritually. And even if this is a season where you don't feel so fired up for God and your heart is so warm toward God and the things of God, listen, God wants to do a fresh work in our hearts today. He wants to, to warm us up. And this is what we see when we come to the the church of Thessalonica. We're starting a new sermon series this morning. We're going to be walking through very slowly, I might add, walking through very slowly and methodically this book of 1 Thessalonians. But before we get there, we need to catch the history in the book of Acts of how the gospel came to Thessalonica in the first place through the missionaries known as Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And so I'm excited to introduce this book to you today. I hope you grabbed a copy of our scripture journals. If you missed it on the way in, you can grab one on the way out. If you're worshiping online, we will have them for you next Sunday. All right, so uh, let's start in Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. All right, this is, this is what Luke, the author of Acts, writes for us. It says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, God's promised one, to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, he is the Christ, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, Paul, Silas, Timothy, when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, listen to this, these men have turned the world upside down and they've come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying, that there is another king, 
Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. As we think about what it means to be a church on fire, a church that is lit up with the presence and power of God in our midst, what we see here in the Thessalonian church, okay, the first truth that I want to give us is this. We see this from Acts chapter 17. The fire of God's word and spirit brings life, all right? The fire of God's word and spirit brings life. Now, I need to give you a little church history, all right? I'm not talking about, you know, the second through the 20th century. I am talking about the early church. I am talking about Acts chapter 1 to 16. I'm not going to start in chapter 1. I'm going to start in chapter 13 because it's in chapter 13 that Paul, after Jesus met him in a blinding light on the Damascus road in Acts chapter 9, comes to Antioch. And the Antioch church, a very diverse church, much like our church, sends out two of their best. And let me go on record and say, as we think about missions, as we think about church planting, as we think about our vision over the next few years to start a new church in greater Boston, okay, we want to send some of our best. And this is what the church at Antioch did. They sent a man named Paul, perhaps the greatest missionary and theologian in the early church, they sent Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey. They first go to the, um, I don't know why this thing is talking to me. That is not cool. I'm trying to call someone on FaceTime. Don't call. That is really fun. Uh, <laughs> and seriously distracting. Stop. Sorry, guys. I don't know why. That's doing, that's never happened. All right. Someone help me with my iPad settings after the service. I don't even know. I know what I was saying. Cyprus, I think I was saying. Cyprus, has that ever happened to you? You're talking, your Apple Watch, your iPhone, just catch a Siri. This is fun. All right, so, so Paul and Barnabas go to the island of Cyprus. And then they make their way into the region of Galatia. And they're moving from town to town. They are a church on the move, which is our vision, right? Our prayer. They are a church on the move, taking the gospel, proclaiming Jesus in every town where they step into and so they, they uh, come back to, to Antioch and they go to the Jerusalem council, council to work out some things in Acts 15. And, and then they are sent out again at the end of Acts chapter 15. And this time Paul doesn't take a man, the man Barnabas with him, but he takes a brother named Silas. And Silas and Paul begin this second missionary journey where uh, they, they travel uh, uh, out and they uh, make their way uh, to, um, let's see, where does it say here? They, they move out through uh, Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. They go to Derby and Lystra, it tells us at the beginning of chapter 16. And it's in Lystra where they pick up a young man whom Paul led to Christ named Timothy. And so they are continuing their journey. They make their way to Philippi. Maybe you're familiar with the book of Philippians where uh, Lydia comes to Christ. And then they lead the Philippian jailer after they're imprisoned to Christ as well. And they get run out of town, which means now they're on a hundred mile journey down the Via Ignatia, this major trade route. And they make it 100 miles from Philippi to Thessalonica. 
And this is where we find Paul and Silas and Timothy in verse 1. It says this, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, it's important for us to understand, and I think this may help us lean into the book a bit, that Thessalonica was much like, for an ancient city, it was much like Boston. All right, let me, let me share a few reasons for that. Uh, a little history, they were, it was founded in 316 B.C., and it was named after Alexander the Great's sister. Um, Thessalonica was Macedonia. Think of this region of the world, like New England, okay? It was Macedonia's largest city. Scholars debate, was it 20,000 people, which would have been huge for that time, or was it even up to 200,000 people? Regardless, it was the largest city with a massive population, and it was the capital of the region, just like Boston. It was also a port city. And, and being on this major trade route, it was a center of commerce. There were, there were ships coming in and out. There were people traveling on these roadways, exchanging goods, and business was flourishing in the city of Thessalonica, just like Boston. We sit here right on the harbor, and I-95 connects us with the vast majority of the population of the United States. And so why does, why does Paul and Silas end up in Thessalonica to begin with? Well, we would have to back up to chapter 16 where Paul has some different plans, but God speaks to Paul in a vision and he sees a man from Macedonia appear to him and he's crying out saying, to come over to Macedonia and help us. Okay, this is captured for us in Acts chapter 16, verse 9. And so Philippi is stop number one. Thessalonica is stop number two. And why was it that there is a man saying, come and help us? Well, the people of Macedonia, the cities like Philippi and Thessalonica, their greatest need was the same greatest need that we have in 2023, Boston, Massachusetts. They needed the truth of God. They needed the word of God to come and, and explain to them what, our, what is happening in our world, how we got here, what's wrong with it, how things can be made right, and even within our own souls, these realities that God wants to, to heal us and mend us and bring us back into a right relationship, not only with him but also with one another. And so they needed the word of God. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. Listen carefully to these words. He's, he writes to the Romans and he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he goes on and he says this. Listen to this logic. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed. He's talking about the Lord. So how can they call on the name of the Lord and believe in the Lord unless they have, they have, they have heard of him, right? So how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching or communicating the gospel to them? And how are they to preach unless they have been sent? We talked about living sent last week. The Lord of the harvest is still sending out laborers into his fields, right? We've been thinking about this as a church. And then this final statement in verse 15 of Romans 10, as it is written, quoting Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. These, these words explain the help that the Thessalonians needed for Paul to show up and to tell them about who God is and what he has done for us in sending his son into the world to bring us this message of salvation that we can be rescued out of our emptiness and out of our purposelessness and meaninglessness that all of humanity is searching for satisfaction. We're grasping after it. The book of Ecclesiastes says it's like chasing the wind. Everyone is looking for something that's going to satisfy them. And we think we're going to find it in the six-figure salary or, you know, having the nicest things or the best relationships or whatever. And Paul is saying, look, like Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, that these things will not ultimately satisfy us. But we need the living water that is found in no one other. Nothing other than Jesus Christ. Amen? And so Paul comes to Thessalonica to bring this good news. In verse 2, I love verse 2 because it even helps us out with what we've been thinking about as we want to bring a blessing to the city of Boston through beginning with prayer and listening with care and eating with others and serving them and sharing with them. We've talked about how that it's one thing to have an intention, but usually our best intentions flow from convictions that we really believe these things are true and I've got to do something about it. And when our intentions flow from our convictions, they should lead by God's grace, to action. And so we can see here that Paul had some clear intentions. He was a man with a plan. And his strategy when he got to cities was to visit the place where people were already waiting. This is pretty smart, Paul, okay? I mean, he was brilliant, much more brilliant than uh, most all of us, certainly me, okay? But, 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 you know, he went to the place where people were already waiting for the Messiah, and so he goes to the synagogue and it says that as was his custom, three Sabbaths in a row, he goes to the synagogue to proclaim to them the Christ, Jesus, has made his way into the world and has died for humanity on the cross that we might be reconciled to God and to show that it all was true. He shows that he has the power over sin, but not just sin, sin and death because he rose from the dead. And so this was Paul's strategy. He goes into the synagogue where the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah. And he says, wait no longer. But then Verse 2 also tells us that Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures. I mean, we live in a very intellectual city. 
And, and, and a lot of times maybe there's, there's caricatures of, of, of Christians or people haven't really, you know, they, they've kind of rejected what they've never studied or heard. And so they think that Christians are just these unreasonable people that are walking around with blind faith. And it's like, how could there be anything reasonable about what Christians believe? But in fact, our faith is very, very, very reasonable. And Paul shows this week after week in the synagogue. And, and to explain what he's doing by his reasoning, the next two words tell us, it says, he was explaining and proving, explaining and proving, explaining and proving that Jesus is the Christ. To explain something is, is to, to provide uh, uh, the meaning of it. There was ongoing explanation where Paul is, is, is taking them to their own history, to their, to their own deepest desires and saying, hey, the sacrificial system and all these practices and the Passover that you've shared, that all of this is fulfilled in Jesus Isaiah, this prophesying about the coming sur suffering servant, it's Jesus every single time. He's explaining to them and he's proving from the scriptures. This word prove means to place beside. Here's what the Bible you believe in says about the Messiah. Well, here's how Jesus fulfilled it again and again and again and again. And as we think about having beautiful feet, God give us beautiful feet. As we think about having beautiful feet in our workplaces and in our relationships and over coffee with friends, um, here's just a, a pro tip that will hopefully help you as you're navigating conversations and simply loving the people that you care about uh, in these moments, all right, is, is there's a temptation, and I still battle this too, where we feel like we have to have all the answers, right? Do you ever feel like this? Like, I'm not opening my mouth here because they're going to ask a question that I can't answer and I don't know what to say, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut because that feels safer. And it's like, okay, you don't have to have all the answers. Here, here's, here's something about They don't have all the answers, <laughs> right? No one has all the answers. But what we have is an understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so in any conversation, the best tip I can give you is to keep coming back to what you know is true about the good news of the gospel, that God loves us and created us. He has a purpose for us that we deviated. We went away from that purpose. We pursued our own path, but Jesus came after us to rescue us out of that. Keep pointing in the conversation. Keep pointing people to Jesus. Bring them back to Jesus again and again and again. This is what Paul was doing as he reasoned in the synagogue, saying Jesus is the Christ. And verse 4 tells us the result. I love verse 4. Look at what it says. It says, and some of them, and then the time out, did everyone in Thessalonica believe? No. So, so, so it would probably be a false expectation to assume that every conversation that we have with our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and the people that we hang out with in greater Boston, that in every conversation there's going to be Faith and belief in Jesus. But we should expect that as we have 
conversation after conversation and, and the fifth conversation with this friend and the tenth conversation with that friend. It's like eventually, this is what Paul is doing. He was over time explaining and reasoning and pointing people to the life of Christ again and again and again to where some believed. And look at the diversity here. It says that some, referring to the Jews, believed and they were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, right, non-Jews, uh, and a few of the leading women, prominent women in the city of Thessalonica were believing that Jesus was the Christ and choosing to follow him now with their lives. And so I just want to encourage us here for a moment, especially as we think about what it looks like to pray, God, you're, 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 may your name be hallowed, may your kingdom come and your will be done in Boston as in heaven. And as we seek to live out our faith and as we seek to, to pray for specific people, not just generic, you know, God all over Boston, yeah, we care about all six, five million people, whatever, but, but, but specific people that we love to say we're going to pray for them, we're going to spend time with them, we're just going to hang out, we're going to enjoy some good, good time with them, uh, but, but, but we're going to serve them and we're not going to be, uh, you know, insincere about our faith. We're not going to hide the fact that we love Jesus, but just in everyday natural conversations, we're going to point them to Jesus. We're going to tell them about the difference that he makes in our lives. When they can't understand that, that uh, we are not stressed out by that crazy project at work, when everyone else is flipping out about it and saying words they shouldn't say and all these kind of things, it's like we are having opportunities to speak of the difference Jesus makes. And as we do this, listen, we want to actually have brought some uh, just simple gospel booklets that you can pick up on your way out in the Connect Center today. Just a simple tool, as we've talked about, that, that even sometimes it's not just, you know, sharing the whole story of Jesus, but just putting a resource in someone's hand and say, you know what, this, this story changed my life. In what we're talking about today, the woman at the well and satisfaction and, you know, it's found in John chapter 4. Maybe read it and we could talk about it. You can grab that on your way out today. But in, but in all of this, please, please be encouraged, okay? Our words, our words do not have power to change anyone's life. Your words do not have power to change anyone's life. The power is found within God's word. And as we share God's word, God's spirit takes it, the Holy Spirit, can you believe it, actually moves in these moments and the Holy Spirit works with God's word and opens people's eyes and makes their heart beat a little bit faster to say, you know what, that's telling my story. As much as I don't want to believe this and I've called these people crazy for my entire life, I cannot deny that this is making sense of the story of my life and the world we live in and the things that I long for and the things that I want and the things that we all want in terms of peace and joy and hope and all these things that Jesus came to deliver it. And so I want to plead with you today, and, and I preach this to myself even as I share it with you. God is not looking for self-confident people. He's not. In fact, God is looking to overlook self-confident people. 
You tracking with me? He's looking for people that would just say, God, I don't, I don't have it in and of myself. But Lord, the power belongs to you. And you can light up anyone's heart just by the power of your word and your spirit because it's the fire of your word and your spirit that brings people life. And this is what was happening in the city of Thessalonica. First Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to read it in just a moment, uh, the whole thing, but uh, verses 4 and 5 say this, for we know brothers loved by God. He's talking about how the gospel came, what we're reading about right here. He's reflecting on these moments right here that we just read about. And he says, for we know brothers and sisters loved by God that he has chosen you. He's adopted you to come into his family. Why? Because our gospel came to you, not just with human words but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The word does the work because it is God's word that is entering into the minds and hearts of people as they hear it. Well, as we continue reading here in Acts chapter 17, not everyone was pumped up about people believing in Jesus. <laughs> In fact, it says that some of the Jews were so jealous that they gathered some wicked men who had some connections and knew how to form a mob and get a riot started in the city. And so they start bringing these false accusations. These men, I love this, by the way, these men who have turned the world upside down. This is the kind of influence that the, the missionaries, Paul and Silas, they were having from city to city. Word was spreading, going before them, saying, the gospel is changing lives, changing neighborhoods, changing cities in Boston as in heaven. This is our prayer, God. And these men who have turned the world upside down, which we know is right side up, <laughs> they've come here also. And so there are two charges laced in this, this, these words where they're inciting a riot, okay? The word turn, it, it can uh, mean to subvert or overthrow. It has revolutionary overtones. In other words, these people have come into our city to start a revolution and we need to get them out of here. And if that weren't enough, they go to the second most serious charge, not simply, uh, you know, disturbing civil peace, but this is sedition against Caesar. Uh, city officials had to make sure that Caesar's place as the king of the empire was not challenged. So they say that they're coming in and they're proclaiming that there's another king and his name is not Caesar. His name is Jesus. And of course, Paul and Silas, they know that King Jesus is, did not come to set up a political empire, but he, he came to... Uh, convey that his kingdom is even is not of this world, but it is a spiritual heavenly kingdom that one day he'll return and he'll bring and make it his earthly kingdom as well. But the time is not for that right now. This was not what they were doing. And yet this is what they were charged with. And so the brothers, knowing that the time was short for Paul and Silas, take them and they send them off to Berea so that they would be safe. And this is what verse 10 says. Look at Acts 17, verse 10. The brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, 
And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. They didn't stop preaching, by the way. I love that. Um, so, so this then takes us to the letter of First Thessalonians. You can turn there if you uh, would like. And, and, and Paul's missionary work in Acts chapter 17 in the city of Thessalonica teaches us that it's the fire of God's word and spirit that brings life. But now when we come to the letter of 1 Thessalonians and this work is continuing, it shows us that the fire of God's word and spirit builds life, lives. Okay? So, so, so initially, Acts 17, the good news is being proclaimed. We call that evangelism. Okay? There's the announcement of good news that people can have a real relationship with God. And that is bringing life to the Thessalonians. But now that they know Jesus, Paul is writing to them and he's saying this same word and spirit is going to build your life in Christ as you continue following Jesus. And we call that discipleship, following Jesus in all of life. And so I want to give you just a bit of an overview of 1 Thessalonians and we can read the first verse together. Paul is writing, and he's writing with his two traveling partners, Silvanus and Timothy. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. First Thessalonians was written by Paul. And perhaps Silas and Timothy contributed. He's certainly highlighting them as part of his apostolic band that is going. And they knew Silas and Timothy as leaders who were teaching them the ways of God with Paul. And and 1 Thessalonians, one thing that I love about it, it is one of uh, Paul's most autobiographical letters. In fact, I would say it's second only to 2 Corinthians where you could call both of these letters Paul's heart on a letter. He takes them into his feelings and his thoughts and his love for them, even his motives. And we know that that from the book of Acts, and, and, and scholars would tell us that Paul wrote this from Corinth roughly 50 A.D., which means that this was probably the earliest book written of our New Testament. Perhaps Galatians was written just a year or so before it, but this could be the earliest book. And the occasion was Timothy coming to Paul and reporting of their spiritual health. So if you remember just a minute ago, I said that uh, in Thessalonica, this riot is formed. They're about to be persecuted. So the Thessalonians send Paul and Silas and Timothy out from there. And they make their way to Berea. And then after preaching about Jesus in Berea, they move on to Athens. And Paul would tell us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, that he sends Timothy from Athens to check on the Thessalonians to see how they're doing. And it's Timothy's reporting back as it tells us in Acts chapter 18 verse 5 that he's bringing a report of their condition. And and 1 Thessalonians, in large part, listen, it's really a celebration. It's a word of thanksgiving of the spiritual health and condition of the Thessalonians. 
we're about to read in verse 2. It says, Paul's giving thanks to God always for all of the Thessalonians, constantly mentioning them in his prayers, remembering before God what? Their work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. And he doesn't stop there. In fact, some scholars would say that chapters 1, 2, and 3 serve as a very lengthy word of thanksgiving where Paul is celebrating how they are continuing in their faith. You see, this is why we're calling this church on fire. It's not just that the the fire of God's word and spirit lit them up and brought them life in Christ, but the fire of God's word and spirit kept them going, kept them burning, kept building them up as they followed Jesus day by day. And so we see some of the themes and purposes of this book. Paul is celebrating their early progress in the faith. I mean, if we look at the timeline, we saw that Paul says he was in the synagogue three Sabbaths consecutively. Most people believe that he was only in Thessalonica a few weeks to maybe up to a few months. That's it. I mean, so think about it. Think if you're a part of this church for like three weeks or three months, how much are you getting? And that's a great question for pastors, by the way. Like, How much are we giving you? How much are we... Uh, Extending in terms of the, what it means to follow Jesus just in that short period of time. And so you, we can understand why Paul was concerned for them, why he was wanting to check in on their faith as they follow Jesus. But he's not just celebrating their early progress, he's encouraging them to continue in their growth, and he's exhorting them to present faithfulness in light of the future coming of Christ. And so as we read through 1 Thessalonians, you're going to find repeated mentions of the return of Jesus. In fact, at the end of every chapter, all five chapters, it references the return of Christ. And so what I want to do is just give you a bit of the structure of the book. And then I'm actually going to read the whole thing this morning. All right? So get ready. But, but chapter 1 is Paul's Primary Thanksgiving. He's celebrating. He's saying the gospel came to you and it transformed you. And you are not only following Jesus, but your faith is becoming reported all over this region of the world. In chapters 2 and 3, Paul speaks of his ministry to them, further celebrating how they received and continued in the word of God. And then when he moves to chapters 4 and 5, he's saying, but the work isn't done yet. There are still some issues. Timothy shared some things like, hey, you're on fire, but the fire needs to continue to burn. And so there are questions they had around sexual ethics and the return of Christ and what it means to live out their faith day by day by day. And as we'll find in Paul's letters, if you think about Ephesians and Colossians, we really see this in a prominent way that the first part of the letter is celebrating who God is, celebrating the gospel, But then when he moves to the second part, chapters 4 and 5, he gets very practical and he says, now, because these things are true, live this way. And a way to bear this out linguistically is there are zero imperatives in chapters 1, 2, and 3. That means there are no word of commands, instructions. This is how you should live. But when you get to chapters 4 and 5, you find 14 imperatives saying, This is what you should do. This is pray, give thanks, rejoice, walk. So this is the overarching structure of 1 Thessalonians. I want to read this whole book. And as I read it, I hope you will note the warm feelings Paul has toward them. 
I hope you'll note his words of thanksgiving and praise. And I hope you will note how he's pointing them to continue growing in Jesus to keep the fire burning. You say, oh, Pastor, you're going to read all five chapters? Yes. And why? Number one, because most of us never sit and read a book of the Bible together. And honestly, and this is like, I'm Pastor Tanner. I'm chief of sinners here. Don't feel shamed. Just feel included in this, all right? Is guess what it's going to take us? 12 minutes. 12 minutes. And I promise you, when you read the book in context, it will light up in ways that you might have missed when you just, oh, I took a chapter. A few days later, took another chapter. A week later, I got another chapter. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying. So it's really beneficial when we read through. I mean, the book of Hebrews, 13 chapters, you can read it in 40 minutes. We need to read the word of God together. So let's read it. Let's read it. I'll stop talking about reading the word. I'll read the word. All right? Here we go. First Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth, reverberated from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, we talked about Acts chapter 16, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. It wasn't easy. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother 
taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, we just talked about all this, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens, here it is, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now, Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. I love verse 8. For now we live if you are standing firm in the Lord. 
For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Finally, then brothers... We ask, chapter 4, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger of all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Chapter 5. Now concerning the, the times and seasons Brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them 
as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as the others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. Just as the Thessalonians were lit up with the word of God and the fire of God's word and spirit brought them life in Christ. I hope it's brought you life. So they are now being built up to burn for God by that same word and spirit. And so my encouragement as we embark on this journey through 1 Thessalonians is simply this, that we should burn for God and continue growing in Christ through the power of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that the word of God has reached us. God, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was just a college 
classmate that drug us to church, Lord, whatever it was, God, we thank you that the fire of your word and spirit has reached us and brought us life. And now, God, it's been our experience since we came to know who you are, that it's still your, the fire of your word and spirit that's building us up and moving us forward. And so, God, we're so excited as a church family, as we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in Boston as in heaven, that we know you are bringing uh, more of the, the life of heaven through us, your people. And so, God, we ask that you would light us up. Light us up as we walk with you daily. God, light us up as we take in truths like we're going to see over and over and over again through 1 Thessalonians. God, as Paul was praying and exhorting them and blessing them, that we as Redemption Hill Church, the brothers and sisters here, would increase and abound more and more in the ways of Jesus. So, Father, we're excited, Lord, to study your word together, to lean in to all of who you are, that we would reflect Jesus ever increasingly as we move throughout this year. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing and respond.